Hi, I'm Philip Adams. I serve on the leadership team here at CBC and it's great to be able to share some thoughts with you this morning from, from John chapter 21. Now it'd be really useful to have the passage open in front of you as we go through. Um, so if you want to hit pause and uh, grab a Bible, that'd be great. Okay, so um, I wonder how you like your films to end. Uh, do you like a classic cliffhanger where um, you're left to kind of work out how the story ends and figure things out for yourself? Uh, or does that leave you feeling a bit short-changed, winds you up a bit, and you, you kind of prefer a bit more of an epilogue uh, where all the loose ends are tied off and everything is explained? Well, I guess different directors are going to do different things with endings, depending on their own style, what impact they're aiming for, and whether or not there's a sequel to come. Well, I think we can think of the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John in the Bible, a bit like film directors. They're all telling the same story, but in different styles to different audiences and at slightly different times. So it's not surprising, I think, that some of the endings are quite different and none more so, I think, than Mark and John. Last week was Easter and we celebrated the death and resurrection of Jesus and the forgiveness and new life which is now open to us. And all through Lent on Sundays we looked at Jesus's journey to the cross in Mark's Gospel. Now Mark ends his account with a classic cliffhanger. Think the Italian job, you know, do they get away with the gold or not? The very earliest manuscripts that we've got of Mark's Gospel end as the women arrive at the tomb on Easter morning to find the stone rolled away an empty tomb and an angel who tells them that Jesus is risen. And Mark signs off with these words. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Which I just think is amazing. Such a bold ending, so much impact. And right the way through Mark's gospel, his aim all the time is to keep asking the question, who is Jesus? So when you get to that cliffhanger ending and he just doesn't really tell you the answer, Mark is almost forcing you to write the ending yourself. You have to decide who Jesus is and on the basis of that, whether it all makes sense and what you're going to do about it. You know, I, I think if you're someone who's not sure about Jesus, then why not open a Bible or Google Mark's Gospel and read it through, start to finish, or maybe even listen to it. You can do that on like BibleGateway.com and places like that. Uh, it'll take about half an hour to an hour, depending on your speed, um, and just see what you make of it. Who is Jesus? So that's Mark, the Italian job cliffhanger. Now, John, on the other hand, reminds me his directing style, a bit more like Peter Jackson. I'm thinking Lord of the Rings here, by the way. And uh, the last film in particular, Return of the King, you know, you think it's over and you're expecting the credits and then there's like another hour of epilogue. Well, John spells out the purpose of his gospel at the end of chapter 20, which is just before our reading for today. If you have a look back, just the verses before that, it's after the resurrection and Jesus has appeared already to Mary Magdalene outside the tomb and then twice to his disciples. Um, and they've all believed, uh, eventually, including Thomas, that he really had risen from the dead. So John writes, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, 
which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And to, to me, that just seems like a great place to finish. You know, it's the same aim as Mark, uh, even if he spells it out a little bit, tells us who Jesus is, but it's not the end. So why does John bother with chapter 21? You know, what can we learn from this last miracle and the conversation which follows? Well, let's have a little bit more of a think about the context. So the disciples have left Jerusalem at this point. They're back where Jesus first found them, the Sea of Galilee, uh, the Sea of Tiberias, same thing. And this is where Matthew's gospel records Jesus first calling Peter, Andrew, James and John to become fishers of men. They've had an amazing three years with Jesus, participating in his ministry, culminating in an incredibly traumatic time at the first Easter in Jerusalem. Confusing, frightening, uh, failure, shame and grief of Good Friday, but also the hope, joy and amazement as they've seen Jesus alive again and believed. But now he's gone again and the next move isn't clear. In chapter 20, if you look back, Jesus told Mary Magdalene in verse 17 that he would be ascending to Father God. And when Jesus first appeared to the disciples in verse 21, he said, as the father sent me, so I am sending you. And the second time he met with his disciples, he said, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's verse 29 of chapter 20. The point is, it's an incomplete picture at best, isn't it? There's obviously uncertainty as to what's going to happen next and what they should be doing. It's a different landscape uh, as the disciples are now without their leader and without the same purpose and probably without much of the same uh, financial and practical support that which had enabled their ministry up till this point. And so they go out to fish. Maybe they're out of practice. Maybe their local knowledge is a bit rusty or maybe Jesus just wants to make a point. But they fish all night and catch nothing. And then a voice on the shore tells them to try the other side of the boat and it's a record catch. And that's when the penny drops for Peter. He swims to shore where Jesus has already got fish on the grill and fresh bread and they have breakfast together. Now, what are you looking forward to about lockdown easing further? Seeing more of friends and family, meals out, holidays shoe shopping, or perhaps I should be asking, what are you not looking forward to? A full social diary to manage again, evenings booked up, Think being the, the kids' taxi service all over again, uh, traffic on the roads, rotors and commitments, um, dealing with the anxieties of seeing loads of people en masse, which you've just not had to think about for a year. I think it's worth stopping to think about that at some point and just owning how we feel about it, the positive and the negative. You know, it's been a traumatic time for many of us and whilst as a nation we may be through the worst of it, the way ahead is far from certain. You know, we've got used to a different way of life over the last year. Our current normal may be a far cry from the old normal, but the new normal is going to be different again. And, and even if that's for the better in the long run, it's still going to mean change 
change for our families, our friendships, and of course for church. Now, I'm not going to suggest that our situations are exactly the same as the disciples in John 21, but at least some of the emotions we might be feeling seem to be quite well represented. You know, there's uncertainty. It's a different landscape and things are changing. So how did Jesus' words and actions here turn the disciples, and especially Peter, from anxiety and insecurity into the bold, empowered pioneers of the early church? And what can we learn that might help us in this next season? Well, amidst all the change and uncertainty for the disciples and for us, I want to pick out three things briefly which stay the same. So firstly, in uncertainty and change, it's the same Jesus. In uncertainty and change, it's the same Jesus. Did you notice in our passage the moment at which Jesus was recognised? As soon as the disciples see the miraculous catch in their net, Peter shouts out, it is the Lord. And once they're on the shore and tucking into the breakfast which Jesus has provided for them, uh, it says, verse 12, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. So seemingly Jesus was recognised not by his voice or even his physical appearance, but by his power. Unique, wonderful and absolutely characteristic, and which they'd experienced time and time again during his ministry. Miraculous power over nature, think about the calming of the storm, uh, or that there was a time where uh, Jesus told Peter to go and catch one fish, which he said would have uh, enough money in its mouth to pay both of their temple tax, and it did. There's uh, miraculous power to provide abundantly and care for the needs of his people. Think about the meal of bread and fish, which Jesus multiplied to feed thousands here reenacted with his friends. The disciples were convinced that no one other than their Jesus could have done this. And I think we can be encouraged by that too. You know, this year, last year has been so different for us as Christians and as a church family. But we've seen the Lord at work in so many ways and he's kept us trusting in him and kept us united in him. And so we can have confidence that even as our circumstances will change again this year, and not necessarily back to how they were in 2019, the same Lord will go before us and be with us in power to care for and provide all we need. Secondly, in uncertainty and change, being friends with Jesus requires the same conditions. In uncertainty and change, being friends with Jesus requires the same conditions. Jesus' disciples had all deserted him on the night he was arrested, and Peter in particular had very publicly denied he even knew Jesus three times. So what had they done to merit Jesus' continued interest, his care, generosity, his love? Well, nothing, because the conditions for being a follower of Jesus were always forgiveness by grace through faith, and they always will be. After they've had breakfast, Jesus speaks to Peter and extends his grace and forgiveness again. But did you notice that before this wonderful restoration, Peter was absolutely unabashed as he dives in the sea and swims to shore because he just can't wait long enough for the boat to get there for him to be with Jesus again. He doesn't feel embarrassed, uh, arriving on the shore, soggy and empty handed. 
and he doesn't hide behind the other disciples or try to sort of look busy with the nets or something and hope that Jesus won't want to talk about what's happened. And I think there's something in that for us too. This last year has been tough spiritually for many of us and we might have lost our way, even stopped acknowledging that we know Jesus. And if not out loud like Peter did, maybe our thoughts and actions reveal that we're not following Jesus as we once did. Maybe we feel out of relationship with him and we don't know how to get back into his good books. Well, take a tip from Peter. Don't be cool. Just dive in. Jesus is waiting. That's what grace and forgiveness is all about. Owning our mistakes, our failures, apathy, um, knowing that Jesus knows all about them anyway and still loves us desperately. So we can come back to him, bringing nothing to the table knowing that it's just us that he wants. In the next section, just on from our passage in John 21, when they finish breakfast, Jesus speaks to Peter and shows him that he is forgiven with no strings attached. Um, you might remember back on, at the beginning of February the 7th, it was Roger Hubert spoke on that very section in a message entitled Living Without Regret. And I'd really encourage you to go back and watch that again because it focuses in on how we can leave the past in the past and move forward with Jesus in the best relationship this world has to offer. I don't know about you, but I've been really grabbed by Peter's story this Easter and how the good news is modelled in his life. Uh, it was great to watch a spoken word piece a couple of weeks back in our service, which really powerfully illustrated the anguish and shame of Peter's denial of Jesus. And in a little bit, we're going to watch the sequel to that. Finally, in uncertainty and change, we have the same mission. In uncertainty and change, we have the same mission. As Jesus reinstates Peter in that second half of John 21, he spells out explicitly that the next task was to care for, strengthen and grow the following, which Jesus already had until he returned. That's in verse 22. But this time it's without Jesus. So how can they do this? Well, he's already hinted at the role the Holy Spirit's going to play as they're sent out back in chapter 20. But the miracle in chapter 21 is such a great reassurance that Jesus' death and resurrection have done nothing to limit his power and that Jesus can still provide for them as they continue the work he started. And the fact that Jesus has risen means the message is actually true. Uh, but more than that, as Peter and the disciples experience firsthand the loving, relational, restorative grace, which this message is all about, Jesus is showing them the model for their ministry and how they are to love, care for and restore those they reach with the message. And so as we anticipate uh, a transition towards meeting physically again as a church, and as our community is able to open up, it's a great reassurance that our aims as a church remain unchanged. Our aim as a church, it's stated, you can read it on our website, is to help people commit to and become more like Jesus. Whether that's in the church building, in the places we find ourselves during the week, or if it's still on Zoom. You know, we know we're going to find ourselves in a different landscape, but Jesus, by his, his spirit, is with us to empower and equip us for his work until he returns and he wants us to experience the joy and peace which comes from knowing him which can flow out from us 
in the way we love and care for others and how we speak about our saviour and friend Jesus. And this kind of lifestyle is the evidence for the resurrection which Jesus wants the world to see. So some closing thoughts. John 21 for me is a bit like one of those final scenes that you get like halfway through the credits which sets up the sequel or like the next season of a box set or something like that. Jesus has risen from the dead but that's far from the end of the story. He's made access into the kingdom of God possible by his death and resurrection and he now hands over the mission to Peter and the other disciples who in turn handed it on to the next generation and so on down to us and now it's our turn. So as we pause and reflect on the year that's been and the uncertainty and change that we now face, we can marvel again at the power of the risen Jesus and choose to believe. We can receive his grace and forgiveness again, whatever our circumstances have been, and we can move forward with confidence in our relationship with the risen Jesus, carrying the message which brings life into the unknown. Amen.